Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we are on a train. I don't know if you can hear it. Let me uh, try putting the mic up by the window. You can hear it vaguely. Mm-hmm. I love that sound of train, of train that chugga-chugga sound. It just, it's so relaxing. Yeah, it is. And we've actually somehow scored ourselves a little compartment here, uh, even though we didn't pay any extra money. It's an air-conditioned booth, which I've never been in in any kind of train. Is this normal? Uh, I think so. I mean, I think all the old-fashioned trains, we're not on a Eurostar, we're not on one of the fast-speed trains, because we're going to a town that's not too far away, Orvieto in Umbria. So if you're on the older trains, that are generally the trains they use for the, the slower journeys, obviously, you, you'll find a lot of compartments where there's three seats on either side. Like, think Harry Potter train, like that kind of thing. Except it's not nearly as cute as the Harry Potter train. No, no, there's not a lot of attention to detail as far as dolling it up. <laughs> I should also mention that we're protecting this compartment by recording because nobody wants to be in a compartment with a microphone. Exactly, that's our plan, to keep it to ourselves. <laughs> I'll just tape it if you have to tell another person to back okay. off. I'll, I'll keep it going. Okay. We decided that since we're on a train that it got us sitting here looking at each other sharing stories about travel and so we decided why not share stories about travel with you. So we are. And I guess my first question is uh, what kind of a traveler would you consider yourself to be? I love to travel alone and I love to when I'm traveling alone I like to be by myself. I mean, I, I can get social, but when I'm actually in the, tra- the, the transit mode, when I'm on a train or on a plane, I like to be by myself. I don't like to talk to people. I like to read or write or listen to my music and do my own thing. What about you? It's the same, actually. If I'm in a transit mode, I don't want to have somebody necessarily sit down and talk to me. But that's not to say that I haven't had people sit down and talk to me that ended up being absolutely delightful. And... For whatever reason, that whole self-preservation, this is my opportunity to read, this is my opportunity to watch as many movies as I want on the plane, uh, gets thrown away just because the person next to me is so interesting. Who is the most interesting person you've ever had as an unexpected stranger travel companion? Well, I can think of two. And one was a elderly English gentleman. And I call him a gentleman because he truly was one of those people that is graceful in his movements, the long limbs with the long fingers. He was wearing a suit on a domestic flight to nowhere interesting. But the thing that I remember the most about him, and I don't know why he ended up saying this to me, maybe we were talking about things that you take with you when you travel, but he said, oh, I always take this. And he pulls his coat jacket open and inside the inner pocket is a bear, a little stuffed bear peeking out. <laughs> oh, here comes the... Um, Ticket checker here. here. I'll I'll tape it. Get our ticket out. Okay. They're looking at us strange. Like, why are they recording? (laughs) They're looking at us really strange. But they passed by. They didn't come in to get our ticket. So um, maybe they think we're celebrities. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't have even bought a ticket. This we've got something. We should do this from from forever. (laughs) Every time we get on, we'll just hold a microphone. We don't even have to record. Anyway, so he opens his jacket and he has this little bear sitting in there. And the bear's name is Basil or Basil, as he calls him, of course. And I don't remember why I remember that, but there's this bear named Basil. But the thing that was so touching about it, (coughs) I just recorded your cough just for everyone to know. Tiffany's falling apart right here. Um, So the reason I remember it so clearly is because, one, he's the only man with a bear in his pocket I've ever met. But he also said that his wife... That you know of. (laughs) Yeah. That his wife really liked 
making bears. And this was the one that she had made especially for him as his travel companion. And so he estimated that he'd been on at least 50 trips with this bear, Basil, riding in his pocket. That's adorable. It is. And the other one, the other guy that really stands out was a young gentleman. I was a teenager at the time. He was probably 22 years old. I remember that I was not drinking age. We were sitting at the very back of the plane, very back, last seat of the plane, in a two-seater, me and him. And he was a, a military guy. He was absolutely hilarious. And we hit it off like we had been best friends. I'm sure people on the plane thought that we'd been friends for years. And it was a long flight, and we talked the entire time. And when we didn't have anything left to talk about, we were doing a crossword puzzle together. Wow, sounds romantic. Yeah, and it was also the middle of the night, so I'm sure the people around us didn't really appreciate. We were the only people talking. I think we were the only ones with the light on above us. Do you remember where you were going? No, I don't. I just remember that it was one of the most fun flights I've ever been on. Where would you have been going for a long time before you were drinking age? It was probably just from east to west coast or something like that. You know, the six hours, five hours. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm trying to think of a really memorable person that I randomly met on a flight. I can't think of anyone. I know that I have chatted with people, but it's been so long because those days, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but I think the days of chatting with people on flights are over. I remember when I was first traveling alone, which would have been when I was first in college. I think maybe I took a few trips before that by myself, but um, mostly I would have been traveling from Boston to Seattle. First of all, nobody had iPads. Very few people had laptop computers. If they did have one, it was really too big and too bulky to carry around with them. I mean, this is not to date myself, but this would have been like 1995 to 99, that kind of period. Uh, I certainly didn't have a laptop back then. I didn't think I had owned a computer back then. <laughs> so, you know, nobody had that. You definitely would have had a Discman. Walkmans were a thing of the past, but no MP3 players. I think at that time, if there was a movie, it was on the big screen up at the front and you didn't get to pick what it was and there was no pause button and there was one. And so now... And remember, they used to edit them too. I don't know if you recall that, but they used to edit out scenes that were inappropriate or somehow reflected badly on the airport industry. Really? I did not know this. And they weren't like showing airplane from from the 80s. So I think that it's changed in that time because now you get on the plane, you put on your earphones, and I do this too, put on your earphones, you watch a movie, you read, you, uh, you, you close yourself off from the people around you. And I've been on flights where I haven't said a word. I mean, I've been on international flights that last 10 hours and not said a word to the people sitting next to me. The last time that I can remember talking to someone on a flight was a good 10 years ago. And I think that's the same for me, I don't, now that you mention that. Yeah, so that's, that's one way that travel is changing. I have met some really interesting people traveling, but not flying by taking trains or just meeting them in a hotel. The biggest example would have been when I was in India, because I traveled for six weeks around India by myself in 2007. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people go to India by themselves. And because so many people travel there alone, it means that a lot of people are open to meeting people and hanging out and and traveling together. And I met a girl and two guys and we went traveling a little bit together, the four of us, and then I just ended up with the girl, and she and I traveled for a good week and a half together. And we became, I mean, I'm not gonna say good friends, but during that period, you know, we were together all the time. And uh, yeah, traveling creates situations in which you meet people that you, then you never see again. I doubt I'll ever see this girl again. 
Were you staying in hostels? Is that how you met them? India doesn't really have hostels as such. They have what they call guest houses. Usually all the rooms are private. Sometimes you have to share bathrooms. There's a lot of communal space. I was staying at a guest house in Udaipur, which is a beautiful city on a lake in Rajasthan. Gorgeous city. Ooh, our ears are popping because we must be going up a hill. Or under a tunnel, deep, deep on the ground. But wouldn't our ears be popping only if we were going up? No, I think it got pressure going down, too. That's what I, I guess. Somebody can write in and prove me wrong. I'm fine with that. So we were, they were sitting around, this girl and these two guys, and they didn't know each other either. In India, things are very inexpensive. So we just started chatting, and all four of us wanted to go on camel safari in Jaisalmer, which is a nearby town from there. And so we said, hey, why don't we go together? And so we went on this camel safari in the middle of the desert together. And that was great. It was an incredible memory I'll never forget. But I also think that travel is changing in the sense that, I mean, this isn't really so much about travel. You could, you could use this to describe any uh, person that you meet anywhere. But it used to be that you travel, you meet someone on a plane or in passing, you have a great conversation with them, or you spend a week traveling around the country with them, in my case. And you never see them again, period. You never expect to see them again, end of story. Whereas now, you exchange details and you're on Facebook together and that person will be popping up on your newsfeed for the rest of your life, which is kind of weird. You still might never see them again. Yeah, you probably won't, but yet you'll have this possibility to contact them, but you never will. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because I feel like if you didn't have that opportunity that was so easy, that then if you came across their information sometime 10 years from now, you'd probably write to them and it would probably be more special than just, oh yeah, I know that person, they had a baby, they got married, they did this, they did that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know what they had for lunch this morning. You lose some of the mystery. That's so true. That's a very good point. I was thinking, this has nothing to do with travel, but I was thinking about when you, you were saying that when I was a second grader, I did my first theater play which was the king and I, and I was the littlest princess in the mass of kids that were in this play, not because I was the youngest, but because I was the smallest. <laughs> uh, in fact, there was a kindergartner in the show that played an older kid than me. Of course, the littlest one got to do all the cute things, and everybody else was just a mass of kids. So in that way, it worked to my advantage. But uh, the whole point of this is the guy who played the king was a guy who was probably in his early 40s or... Uh, maybe mid-30s. I'm not sure, because as a kid, you can't tell people's ages. And of course, he had to shave his head bald to be the king of... Siam. Yeah, king of Siam. Yeah. Oh, my ears, man! Woo. We're going through another tunnel. Uh, so anyway, long story short, he was a wonderful man. Like, he really kind of took me under his wing and was a mentor to me. And because he was so nice, I think that's part of the reason why I kept doing theater throughout my entire growing up life. And years later, as I'm nearing graduating from high school, I start to wonder what happened to this king, the king of Siam. What happened to him? Where did his life take him? Would it be possible for me to find him again? And so I did all this research. I, can't, I, I think I ended up finding his name in a phone book, Brainerd, Minnesota phone book, and found that his address, and I wrote him a letter, not expecting it to necessarily get to him because it was an old phone book eventually got a response from him saying that it meant so much to him that I had sent this letter because I said all these complimentary things about him. about him. That created the tie. There was a reason why you hunt somebody down like that is you really want to know 
what happened to them and to let them know you meant a lot to me you really it affected my life and as a result we still communicate now we're communicating over email we used to only send letters but but it's been so interesting to know him as an adult. I'm an adult. He's always been an adult. <laughs> it's been so interesting to know him as an adult and to, and to find out what his life was like during that period of time. Because for me, I'm in a kid's dream world and he was an adult dealing with real adult issues. And so it was very interesting to see, hear about the play from his point of view. That's great. Yeah, I just feel like if you had somehow gotten into contact, and maybe this is not true, if it had been a different time, obviously as a second grader, you probably wouldn't have had Facebook. But let's say you had been somehow face connected by Facebook for, for many, many years. Would you have written him a letter? Would you have even written him an email? Would you have reached out? Maybe you would have. But I think there's something about having people in your peripheral life when you're on Facebook. You know that they're there and you could contact them. Just knowing that you could contact them means that you won't. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily true, though. Because there are certain people that I like having as Facebook friends. Like, I like knowing what they're doing, even though yeah, I probably... are those people your good friends? They're people that I admired in the past, some of them. Okay. But, whoa. Um, another train just came right next to us. But I do think, at least for the person receiving the letter... I do think that there's a distinct difference between receiving a letter in the mail and having somebody send you a message on Facebook. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe that makes the relationship more important. Well, that's what I'm saying. The fact that, I mean, I'm not dissing Facebook, although you know that I do often, and I quit Facebook recently, but it is kind of cool that it brings people together, but on the other hand, I don't think you appreciate those people as much as you would if you had had to hunt them down. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you were looking for the answer to a mystery, to the question. Yeah, because there's no mystery anymore. Oh, I wonder what that guy that I had a crush on in the fifth grade, I wonder what he's doing. It's like, you don't have to wonder. You know, he's putting it on Facebook. He's talking about his kid's diaper. You know what I mean? It's, you know, or something really boring. He's talking about, like I said, what he had for dinner or, you know, the boring things that people, some people talk about on Facebook. It's like, there's no mystery anymore. He's taking pictures of that dinner, too, before he eats it. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, back to travel. Back to travel, exactly. Um, but I do think that's an interesting point, that travel has changed also because of that. Well, and also just the access to the Internet. Because when you were traveling in the younger years, you probably had to spend a decent amount of time in Internet cafes if you wanted to plan where you were going next or you had to send your mother a note to let her know that you're alive and well. Before, you could carry a phone around that had your map on it. And I remember when there were no internet cafes. I mean, I don't want to sound like a grandma who's like, back in my day, Well, yeah. back in my day, we had to go to the travel agency to get a ticket. <laughs> well, we did. I still have a travel agent. That's pretty cool. No, I mean, when I was in India, I mean, and there were internet cafes in India when I, in 2007, obviously. But I remember when I wanted to book train sta tickets, I had to go to the train station because you, I don't think you can book them online in, uh, for Indian trains. But I'm trying to think about like my first major, mostly solo trip to Europe was it would have been in 2000. Uh, sorry, not 2000. 1996. I'm thinking that would have been the first time that I went to Europe by myself, not as an exchange student. I'd gone in '94, but it was as an exchange student, so I had a family kind of looking out for me and taking care of me. But I went in 1996 to 
basically see friends and hang out with people that I knew and I didn't have anyone looking out for me and I don't know about you I did not have internet in 1996 no no of course I did not, not have an email in 1996 I remember very clearly in 1998 I was in the city of Lucca, which is in Tuscany, which is an amazing town. I think I was in Europe for a total of maybe six weeks to two months, and I had a Eurail pass. It was very limited because I was really based in Lucca, but you know, I wanted to take some side trips, so I had bought this Eurail pass, and I had a book. It was an international European train timetable, and that is how I would find out when the trains were. I do remember travel without internet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's different. In some ways, it's more inconvenient. Absolutely more inconvenient, but it can be more adventurous. And more romantic, because we like to idealize our past, as does everybody else, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why do you think you like to travel alone? I don't know. I feel like I really think when I'm traveling alone, I, I, it's great for introspection and contemplation. When I'm on a train, I feel like I have the capacity to write better. There's something about being on a train, especially especially if I'm sort of by myself, that just puts me in like a mode of, I don't know what it is, maybe it's the movement, the sense that I don't have anything else to do. I don't have anywhere to be. I just need to sit here and, and I don't know. Uh, there is something about a train in the sense of the way that you speed through the countryside. It has this romantic sense of adventure and maybe because it's an older form of travel. No, it's not horseback, obviously, but <laughs> it's an older form of travel, so it has this different feel. You're watching the countryside go by. You're not responsible for driving. Even if you're not driving in a car, you still are going to say, well, why don't we stop at that convenience store and get something to eat? Or, you know, a train is just, you're in there and you're done. Yeah, I know. I, I love it. There's something incredibly relaxing about train travel that you don't get when you fly, because I feel like when you fly no matter what you're going to be dealing with a whole bunch of people you have to go through security you have to push you have to shove you have to wait there's always a certain amount of stress involved am i going to be late am i going to make it on flight attendants telling you what to do traveling by train you show up you get your ticket you might already have your ticket if you bought it bought it online you get on the train you sit down you leave you get off the train and you're in the center of you're in the center of town where there's a beautiful castle up on a hill to our left, a ruined castle. Oh, wow. wonder what that is. That's beautiful. You get to see things like castles out the window. I mean, another... Well, in Italy. In Italy, of course. <laughs> and, in, and in other European countries. If I don't have to be on the train more than four hours, I would rather take the train. If it's, if it's like a seven-hour train trip, I might fly, but I, I prefer the train. Yeah. See, I've always been a person who didn't really travel alone very much sometimes the occasional road trip to somewhere that's five hours away I would enjoy doing that by myself I lack certain navigational skills that a person who's traveled alone a lot has and for me I've always been more of the traveler that either one ends up having to do things with my family all the time so most of the time when I'm particularly when you have a full-time job every time you have the opportunity to travel you're going to see family somewhere with other members of your family or two, it's a very organized trip with a group of people. I used to go with my father to Vietnam a lot when he was doing a lot of work over there. And we'd typically be traveling with a larger group of people where I didn't plan any of the hotels. I didn't plan when we were going to be in certain cities. I just was along for the ride. 
and I also tend to like to travel with friends. It's not that I wouldn't like to travel alone, it's just the opportunity hasn't presented itself as much, and maybe I don't trust myself to travel alone as much because I haven't now, and I'm old now. <laughs> you are not old. I think you should do it at some point in your life. And it's, it's hard when you're married, because obviously when you're married, you want to go with your partner. It's normal. And so I, I know that it'll probably be, probably won't happen for me very often to travel alone now that I'm married. But I think it's important. I think that it gives you a sense of being capable when you travel alone. Like you said, you have to be. And it's not about, oh, I've never done it, so I don't want to do it. It's kind of about throwing yourself out there. And you know when you're there, you don't have a choice. And a great example of that is about three or four years ago when my two oldest sisters came to visit me here in Rome. I have four half-sisters. The oldest one is 19 years older than me. So my two oldest half-sisters came to Rome and they arrived at different times. I don't believe that either of them had ever traveled outside of North America before. I want to say they're in their early 50s, mid-50s. And also, I don't think either of them had ever traveled solo before. And in Rome, it's, it's kind of difficult to get to the airport. It's not difficult, but you know, I, I mean, I don't have a car. So it wasn't like I could just go and pick them up at the, at the airport. Plus, they were coming in at completely different times of day. They both said to me, don't come to the airport, really. We'll, we'll, we'll make it to the train station. There's a train station not that far from my apartment. So I explained to them. I gave them detailed instructions about where to go and how to get there. And they both had the same similar experience. And the oldest one got out of the flight. Here she is, not speak, doesn't speak a word of Italian. She gets out of the airplane and she's got to find the train station. And it's not that obvious. She told me later that she, she basically said to herself, Kendra, that's her name, Kendra, she said, you're just going to have to do this. You're just going to have to figure it out. And she did. And she made it. And I was sitting in the train station waiting for her and I saw her peer around the corner and she's looking am I in the right spot and it all worked out I mean how bad can it really be well <laughs> that brings me to another topic that I wanted to talk about <laughs> things sometimes do go wrong and obviously there can be really horrible things that lead to catastrophes and I'm not going to make light of that and luckily none of that has ever happened to me but I definitely have had things that happened that were unpleasant and not supposed to happen and created a lot of stress and and confusion. That's just a part of traveling. It doesn't happen every time, but it definitely can happen. And my best story, because you know, these things will inevitably turn into really good stories that you can tell later. That's the best part about it. And you have to think about that when it's happening. You're like, this is going to be such a good story one day. Yeah, they always say that travel is all about before and after, but never during. It's always unpleasant during. Well, if something goes bad, I like the during part, to be quite honest, but not when it's going badly, of course. So my really bad travel story happened when I was in Southeast Asia. I had been traveling with a friend, but he had gone back to Italy, and so I was alone. And I was in Singapore. I was actually trying to get to a very small town in Sumatra, where I was going to be doing some diving. I knew that the, the cheapest way to get to Sumatra was to fly Air Asia from, uh, from Kuala Lumpur. I had been in Kuala Lumpur. I had no desire to go back there, but I had to go there to get this flight. And I had bought the flight, luckily pretty cheap, and it was flying from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, to a very small town at the tip of Sumatra called Banda Aceh, which, by the way, just side note, was where the epicenter of the tsunami was. 
it's kind of a city that's been destroyed, but it has an island off the coast where the, there's some amazing diving. So that's where I was trying to go. And I went to the train station in Singapore to get my train ticket up to Kuala Lumpur. I had taken the train there. And it was very comfortable, very nice overnight train. So I was just going to get the ticket back. Well, I get there and the price of the train ticket is something like 10 times the price that it was coming the other way. It had been like $20 from Kuala Lumpur to Singapore and it was like 100 or 200 back. And I said, why is it so much more expensive? And they said, because you're leaving from Singapore and everything is expensive in Singapore. And I was like, oh God, what am I supposed to do? And she said, it's really easy. Just take a bus just across the border. You just get the train from there and it'll be the same price. It'll be $20. So I did that and I found the bus that I had to take and I have my backpack and I'm not really a backpacking type, but in certain trips you have to do it. So I had my backpack, I had flip-flops on, you know, it was hot. I get the bus, and what I hadn't calculated was the traffic. Terrible traffic leaving Singapore. It starts pouring with rain, monsoon-type rain. And I'm really getting stressed out because I know that if I miss that train up to Kuala Lumpur, I am going to miss my flight. There isn't another train until the next morning. I'm going to be stuck in this little town. I don't even know if there's hotels there. I don't know anything about that town. It's going to be nighttime. It's going to be scary. I have to get that train. We're getting close. We're on the Singapore Causeway, which is a huge bridge that connects Singapore to the tip of Malaysia. Border control is on the bridge. It's like this office that's in the middle of the bridge, this huge bridge. There's this Malaysian guy sitting next to me, and I'm kind of involving him in my stress. I'm kind of like, oh my God, are we going to get there? Are we going to get there? So he knows what's going on. He knows I'm stressed out. And we get to the bridge and it's just packed, nose to nose traffic. And the bus stops in the middle of the bridge and people start getting out, but not everybody, just some people. And he's like, you should really get off the bus. If you get off, you can walk to the passport control and then get a bus from there. Get, just grab another bus. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck in traffic for an hour. And he was getting off. So I thought, well, I'm just going to do this. I get off the bus and I'm walking across the Singapore Causeway in pouring rain with flip-flops and a backpack and a t-shirt. And I get to the passport control and of course I don't have a pen. I don't know what I'm supposed to fill out. I don't know what line I'm supposed to be in. I felt like such a clueless traveler. But luckily this guy was being so helpful. He's like, here, here's a pen, fill this out. That's the line you have to get into. And I was really also impressed by all these people who do this every day as part of their commute get through passport control. I'm all done. He's helping me as if I'm like a completely useless person who can't do anything for themselves. He's like, here's the bus that you need to get. Get on this bus. And it was the bus he was getting on as well. We arrive there and I've got about 15 minutes, 20 minutes to get to the train station. But I have no idea where the train station is because the bus stop isn't the same as the train st station. He takes me there. He drops me off. I tried to give this guy money, not because he was necessarily looked like he needed it, but as a way of saying thank you for all the help that he'd given me, but he refused to take any money from me and wished me well. And he probably went home and I got my ticket for the train. And so it seemed like it was a success. And I caught the train, paid the 20 bucks, very comfortable. I get to Kuala Lumpur the next morning. My flight to Indonesia isn't until 3 p.m. So I lock my stuff in the train station and I go into the center to sit in an internet cafe and I just happen to go onto the website of the dive school where I'm going to be going. And I see this big notice that I hadn't noticed before. And it says, attention, you cannot get a visa on arrival in the town of Banda Aceh. 
Indonesia, you have to get a visa before you go. I didn't even know you needed a visa to go to Indonesia. Wait a second. Does that mean I have to go to the Indonesian embassy or do I have to go to the Malaysian embassy or do I have to go to the American embassy? I couldn't figure it out. I finally realized, no, Indonesian embassy to Malaysia. That's where I got to go. So I'm running around like a chicken with its head cut off, like trying to find the address of this embassy, trying to get a photo of myself, all the things I need. I get to the embassy. I need a visa now. Now, I should say I'd been to India a few years before and it took me three weeks to get the Indian visa. So I'm thinking, oh my God, how long is it going to take me to get this visa? They're like, great, we can have it for you within the day. I was like, fantastic. This is amazing. They're like, yes, but not till 5 p.m. But my flight's at 3. And they're like, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. I'm not necessarily proud of this, but I tried to bribe them. (laughs) I didn't put it in those words, but I kind of said, what if I pay extra? Like, is there an extra price that's like an expedited price for a faster visa? They're like, no, there's literally no way to get your visa faster. So I had no choice but to get a hotel for the night in Kuala Lumpur and buy a new train ticket for the next day. And um, I eventually made it. But the unfortunate part was that when I arrived in Kuala Lumpur the next day, the ferry to the little island that's off the coast of Sumatra where I was going, there were no more ferries for the rest of the day. It was like the never-ending saga of trying to get to this town. And um, the only positive thing was I had met these two Australians on the plane who actually had a house in Banda Aceh because they were surfers. And I stayed with them. They let me stay the night because in Banda Aceh there's no place to stay. It's just this town in the middle of nowhere. I told my mom that. She kind of freaked out. She's like, I can't believe you spent the night with people you didn't know. Things like that tend to happen when you travel. I eventually did make it to the dive school, but it took 48 hours. (laughs) Well, that's another interesting thing, isn't it, that... Oftentimes, when you're having trouble during travel, these people appear that take care of you. Yeah, I mean, both the Malaysian guy and this Australian couple, they were like my saviors. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't had them. I've heard so many stories like that, where people have all sorts of complications, or their wallet gets stolen, or who knows what, and there's somebody that happens to be there that steps in and and makes it okay. Yeah, I try to be that person if that situation ever arises for me, because you'd have pay it forward. Well, we should probably leave it there. We should, because I think we're almost in Orvieto. Yay! Our train trip is coming to an end. Thanks so much for riding along with us. Yeah, if you have any stories of crazy things that have happened to you traveling, let us know. We'll share your stories on the podcast. Yeah. This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.